2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 22. Paul writes, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with his present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, but he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Anesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you. So do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this uh, letter that has been so rich and helpful for us as we have studied what it means to be a Christian leader, indeed what it means to be a Christian in tough times for the church. Help us to listen tonight. Help us to take in these last words of the last words of the apostle and apply them in our lives and encourage each other with them. For Christ's sake, amen. Now, there are some notes on the back of the service sheet which uh, will help us uh, tonight. To Timothy was written as a letter to Timothy, the leader of the church in Ephesus. It is a letter about Christian leadership primarily, and as such, it is a letter for Christian leaders. Christian leaders are elders in local churches, where they're set apart and working full-time as ministers or serving alongside other work or in retirement. But we've sought to define, and rightly so, Christian leadership more broadly to all those involved in leadership in a church like Chalmers, small group leaders, for example, and those in church who aspire to be leaders, or those in church that people are saying, you have leadership gifts. And we've embraced in applying the letter people being trained for leadership here, and there are many within our church family in Christian leadership in contexts other than the local church. 2 Timothy is a letter for Christian leaders, but it's also a letter for all Christians in two ways. First, first, all Christians need to understand what the Bible teaches about Christian leadership and to know what to look for in a leader. 
That is the important factor, perhaps, in choosing a church. And not only to know what to look for in a leader, but to hold them accountable to. Second, the relevance of this letter to all of us as Christians. The life and ministry of a Christian leader and the life and ministry of a Christian are essentially the same. At various points in the letter, Paul speaks in general terms, applying what he is saying to everyone. Not least in our passage, you'll have noted that in chapter 4, verse 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord will give me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. To Timothy is a letter for Christian leaders and all Christians. Now you'll see on the sheet there are four things I want us to see, and we're going to spend most of our time on these great verses in chapter 4, verses 6 to 8, Paul's testimony of grace. And then the, 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 the way he ends the letter is, is very real. If you thought that these letters were made up, you just couldn't make up the last chapter. Paul is discouraged by desertion and loneliness. He is strengthened by the Lord, and grace gets the last word. Now, Paul's testimony of grace, Paul's testimony, verses 6 to 8, is an example and inspiration for us all. Let's read the verses again. Paul writes, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, Paul has just exhorted Timothy to complete or accomplish his ministry. The end of verse 5, Timothy, accomplish your ministry. Complete the job. Do what you have been called to do. And Timothy's inspiration and ours is Paul, who has completed and accomplished his ministry. Now, I want to emphasize, and you can triple underline this, that Paul's life is a testimony not to his gifts, nor to his character, nor to his accomplishments, but to God's grace. We would not dispute that when it comes to Paul's conversion, would we? God's grace. So we must not dispute it when it comes to his life, nor his gifts. The source of all that Paul was able to be and do is Jesus. It is Jesus who converted him, changed him, equipped him, enabled him to persevere and endure and kept him. Jesus is the source of Paul's strength. And Jesus is the source of our strength too. It is only because Jesus lives in us by his Spirit that we will be able to fight the good fight, finish the race, and keep the faith. It is only through Jesus and only through his grace how do we get that grace? 
If you are converted, you have it. The Spirit of the risen Jesus is in you, okay? But how do you get strength from that grace? Well, the answer is simple. By asking for it. Each day, perhaps many times in the day, ask the Lord Jesus to strengthen you by His grace that is in you through His Spirit. Make sure you are in a church where the leaders of the church will preach the Bible and teach the Bible for the Word of God applied by the Spirit of God is the means of grace. And seek out Christian fellowship, whether in CCY or a small group or in any other group in the life of a church. People you can be accountable with. Notice, I am not saying people you can be accountable to. It's mutual. We give accountability. We receive accountability. Studying and applying the Word of God and praying together. Living in the habitat of the means of grace. Paul's life is a testimony to God's grace. He is not imitable. Christ living in him. Christ living in you can transform us as it did the Apostle Paul. Might even be fair to say that we are less of a challenge to God than Paul was. A key verse in the letter, therefore, is chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Keep remembering these words. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 6 of chapter 4. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. Paul is conscious that very shortly he will be put to death because of his Christian convictions. He speaks about his death as a sacrifice. So women, does he believe his death to be that he speaks of the sacrifice as having already begun? For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Isn't that what Paul says in Romans of the Christian life? My life is a spiritual sacrifice. My life is an act of worship. Our lives as Christians, this is a very wobbly stage. Our life as Christians in the threescore years and ten, or a bit more, or a bit less, are sacrifices for Jesus. That's what they are. That's why these daft people are going to redeem us. It's a sacrifice for Jesus. That's why us daft people are staying here. It's a sacrificial death. A sacrificial life Paul lived as we do. The time of my departure has come. The word Paul used to describe his death, departure, it's a strange word. I think in, um, it's a word commonly used to describe, a, so I read, a ship being untied from its moorings. The language Paul uses creates a powerful and emotive picture. John Stott puts it eloquently as ever like this. The anchor is weighed the ropes are slipped and the boat 
is about to set sail for another shore. Isn't that brilliant? And with the imminence of his death in his mind, Paul looks back and reflects on his ministry. It is not boasting, it is simply a factual and fair assessment of his ministry. It would be boasting if Paul was giving a testimony of his accomplishments, his character, his gifts. It's a testimony about Jesus. How does he reflect on his life? Three short phrases, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Number one, I have fought the good fight. Now here Paul is picking up on something he has uh, said earlier in the letter. Just uh, turn back to chapter 2, where Paul begins to paint a portrait for us of the Christian worker. The first brushstroke in the portrait, chapter 2 and verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I have fought the good fight. The Christian worker, the Christian witness, is to be a soldier, a fighter. That's the first thing in the portrait in chapters 2 and 3 of the Christian worker, the Christian leader, or just the Christian. It's the first thing Paul says here in chapter 4 as he looks back in his life. I have fought the good fight. I've been a fighter. What is the nature of the battle? I guess the overarching nature of the battle is for truth. That's the battle that Paul is talking to Timothy about all through the letter, the battle for truth all around Paul. And it seems all around Timothy in the church in Ephesus, people are departing from the truth. From what Paul describes as the pattern of the sound words or the sound teaching laid down by Paul and the other apostles. Now, that's not a million miles from these shores, is it? All around the church, people are departing from the pattern of sound words. A Christian soldier is engaged in a battle for truth, and it is a battle. I guess one evidence of that is that we're in a place like this, South Hall, and all that that means. The Christian soldier is engaged, moreover, in warfare whenever they preach the Bible, teach the Bible, and speak the gospel, for they are preaching or speaking the truth into a world of lies, a world that is the domain of the devil, the father of lies. Paul reminds us at the end of Ephesians that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. A soldier fights with weapons, and the Christian soldier's offensive weapons are the word and prayer. But remember that Paul's picture of the Christian leader, the Christian as a soldier at the beginning of chapter 2 is part of the same picture of the Christian leader, the Christian servant at the end of chapter 2. The warrior is a servant. The fighter is patient. The fighter is gracious. That's what it takes to fight the good fight to be a warrior and a servant. And who is that like? The Lord Jesus. We saw that this morning in Mark's gospel. He is the warrior king, but the Lord's servant to give his life to save others. It's very striking how these parallels work in the Bible. What must a soldier be prepared to do to suffer? And a soldier's suffering is a certain and strange kind of suffering. It is suffering for the benefit of others. 
Suffering for the Christian leader, suffering for every Christian is a note sounded again and again through the letter. Let me just show you one or two. Just look back to chapter 1, verse 8. Flicking in our Bibles is always good on a Sunday night, keeps us awake. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Why will you suffer? Simple answer, because you stand up for Jesus. Chapter 1, 11 and 12, the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. Why will you suffer? Because you are a preacher and a teacher of the gospel and are not ashamed to do that. Share in suffering, 2-3, as a good soldier. Share with whom? Other Christians, but more moving. Share in Jesus' suffering. Remember chapter 2, 8 to 9, Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. What's the point of suffering? The Christian leader is chained so that the word of God goes out freely. The Christian suffers and the gospel goes forward into people's lives, into places it has never been before. And so on and so forth. Chapter 3, verses 10 to 13, Paul's list. My conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. Indeed, all, verse 12 of chapter 3, who desire to live a godly life in Jesus will be persecuted. For the authentic Christian leader, for the authentic Christian who teaches truth and lives a godly life, suffering is inevitable. And Paul's summary statement in chapter 4, verse 5, as for you, always be sober-minded, keep your head, endure suffering. You can't get away from it. You can't get away from it. As a soldier, you cannot get away from it. You cannot enlist as a soldier. And it's striking that today is Remembrance Sunday when we remember those who gave. You cannot enlist. Somebody's got a, a poppy. I noticed it today on them. It's a, it's a, a kind of permanent poppy, like a, like, like a brooch that you would wear. And they told me they got it in Australia, in the place in Australia where 40,000 young men set sail to go to the First World War. Now, they had no idea what was ahead, but they knew that suffering was a distinct possibility, and so it proved to be for them all. Suffering takes different forms. Now, in some parts of the world, it is direct hostility. In other parts of the world, it is antagonism, rejection, the discouragement of apathy and indifference. I don't think the Bible encourages us to rank suffering. It just goes with the territory wherever we are. It's just different. The more secular the environment we witness in, the worldlier the church becomes, the more suffering increases. What is suffering in our context? Most of all, it is living day in, day out in the realm of rejection, the discouragement, isolation, marginalization, just not getting a seat at the table, not getting a hearing, uh, friends, family, all that stuff becomes more complex. Uh, it, it, most of all, from my perspective, I would say that suffering 
for the Christian is living constantly, particularly the Christian leader, every single day in the realm of spiritual warfare. It is like living, I went uh, past uh, Blair Drummond Safari Park, and of course I was teaching on Daniel, so I wondered, I said, I wonder if they have any lions. Don't think they do. They do, somebody just said. Did somebody just say that? Christian life is like living in a safari park where there are lions on the loose and you do not know where they are and you are not in a protected vehicle. There's someone at your back right enough, Jesus, but you do not know the lion is there until it is pounced. Living as a Christian, planting churches, being a Christian leader, being a student on campus that comes clean about your faith, being a school pupil at school that stands up for Jesus in some way or another, you are walking into the realm of spiritual hostility. You are putting a foot into the territory previously occupied by the devil, and he will prowl around you, and it will not look tense or dramatic. He will just be snapping at your heels, just stuff and difficulty and strain and complexity in your life. Paul's testimony of grace, I have fought the good fight. Second, I have finished the race. Once again, Paul is picking up a theme from earlier in the letter. It's the second brushstroke in the portrait of the Christian worker in chapter 2. Have a look at that. It is the athlete who does not receive the victor's crown unless they complete according to the rules. And by that, Paul means running a straight race not cutting the corners, not changing the gospel we proclaim or the Christian life we live. And it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint on a bike in a velodrome, which is a contemporary illustration if you've been watching the telly. It's more like the Tour de France with all these Pyrenees mountains and the hostile crowds of the Tour de France. I use these sporting examples with confidence at Chalmers because we have an increasingly large number of top athletes. Here's a little timeout. We have a top rowing coach, that's one. We have a number of gifted rowers training for representative honours. We have a Henley winner. We have a pole vault champion and record holder. We have a member of the under-19 cricket squad in Scotland. We have someone whose brother works for Dundee Football Club. We have someone here tonight whose son-in-law is a professional runner. We have an aspiring football referee who, by all accounts, is rather good, and as yet, an unbeaten table tennis partnership of Roger and me. <laughs> so Chalmers has sporting pedigree at last. It's a great image, isn't it? Listen to these words of the apostle. Right in the middle of active ministry, not at the end. In acts, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. In other words, you need to study 2 Timothy halfway through your Christian life. I have finished the race. Question Are we running the race? We can't all be athletes in the world of sport, but we can all be armchair sports men and women in the world of sport, watching and admiring people playing. But we can all be athletes for Christ in the world running the race, and the race that is the Christian life is not a spectator sport. 
Don't be an armchair Christian. If you see a seat and one of your good mates is being an armchair Christian, pull it out from under them. Don't watch others run. Run the race. Run it strengthened by His grace. And remember, the Christian race is a team race. We don't run alone. Some of you will have watched that remarkable one hour, 59 minutes, 46 seconds when Elliot Kipchoge ran the first marathon in two hours. The only reason he did it, apart from the fact that he could run like the wind, is he did it in formation like the Red Arrows with seven of them. He couldn't have done it without a team. That's why we need churches. That's why we need each other. Perhaps I'm getting carried away with the sporting illustrations, so here's one more. In case you think you're not a world record-holding Christian, the London Marathon competitor number 8,296, finishing time 5 hours and 29 minutes, three and a half hours behind the winner. That runner is just a number, anonymous in the eyes of the world, an ordinary... Who, who did uh, one of you said tonight when you were standing up here, we're just ordinary people, we're just ordinary Christians, and so we are. How extraordinary it is that God uses the ordinary to put a living church into a place where there hasn't been one before. And the commitment, the training, the dedication, the achievement of that runner, 8296, 5 hours, 29 minutes, just as great as the Kenyan Eliud Kipchoge. That is perhaps a better illustration of what running the Christian life is like. I have kept the faith. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. With that phrase, I have kept the faith, Paul picks up on a number of strands from the letter. Firstly, I think guard the gospel. Chapter 1, verses 8 to 14. Don't turn there. Just let me read the key verse. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Notice, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit that is the gospel, not in your own strength. I have kept the faith, guard the gospel. Second, I have kept the faith, hold on to the Word, chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. Hold on to your heritage in your nation about the Word of God. Hold on to what you know about the Word of God, that it's inspired that is all that you need, that it changes people's lives, that it converts people, that it turns over stones in your life. And hold out the Word. That's what it means to keep the faith. Preach the Word when the community of faith is gathered. Release the Word to the life of a local church. Train up leaders, small group leaders, Sunday club teachers. Read the Bible one-on-one. -on -one. Speak the gospel. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And henceforth that is laid up for me, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The crown of righteousness is the crown that hovers above your head now. It's not on your head now in the sense that we're not yet home, but it's sure to fall. It's sure to come on your head. And it's not just Paul, of course, who will receive the crown of righteousness, the crown that the apostle 
wears is the crown that you and I will uh, wear. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. One of the students at the house party this weekend, if you were here this morning, I was telling you all the questions they asked me and all the answers I tried to give. One of them said to me as we were walking in Loch Lomond yesterday, you're a Christian minister, you're further down the track. Have you seen people lose their faith? What a great question. And I was able to say honestly to him that there are people who, who seem to start well, who seem to, to drift away, to turn away, and yet there are many more years in their life. But then he, then he kind of went for the jugular, and he said, have you ever seen somebody lose their faith close to the end of their life when they are dying? That's another great question. And I never have. I never have. I've seen it grow stronger, brighter, shining. I think we are confident on that. And encourage, let me be equally confident with you that we will, if we ask daily for the help of the Holy Spirit, be able to get to the end of that marathon. It might be five hours and 26 minutes. We might be number 8296. But you are more than capable because Christ is your conqueror. You are more than capable of fighting the good fight, finishing the race, and keeping the faith. If you are in a living church, and if you are submitting to the means of grace, the Word and the Spirit, you will fight the good fight, you will run the race, and you will keep the faith. You see why the right leadership in a church matters? Because if you are not availing yourself of the means of grace, if you are not hearing the real gospel, if you are not being encouraged to hold on to the Word of God, if you are not in an environment where the elders of a church will suffer for your sake, then how on earth can you be expected to fight the good fight, to finish the race and keep the faith? But even then, don't fall into the trap of thinking anyone else other than Jesus is our example and is our strength. Now, we're at 31 minutes. I'm aiming for 35, and we've had the reading, so 35 is fine. We are trying really hard to cut down our sermon length. We are trying hard. Paul is discouraged by desertion and loneliness, chapter 4, verses 9 to 16. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. I wonder how he, Paul thinks of Demas. Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me. He's an interesting test case, Demas. You know, I'm going to write a chapter and a book about him sometime. You know, Demas really hurts Paul in his heart, doesn't he? Hurts when people stand with you and then desert you. Alexander the metalwork, he caused havoc. Paul's sense of loneliness is in part because of those who have deserted him, opposed him, but it's also that he is separated from his companions. Verse 10, the second half of verse 10, Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me, at least he's got his doctor. Tychicus has been sent to Ephesus, probably with a letter for Timothy. 
And verses 11 to 13 are very moving, real and moving. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark. You know, he wants to just make sure that Mark absolutely knows they've reconciled after they fell out. Bring Mark with you, for he is very useful to me for my ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. But he wants Timothy most of all. He wants Timothy. When you come, Timothy, bring the cloak that I left with carpets at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Super sentiment, isn't it? Yesterday when I was driving back, it's my second story. We had lots more this morning. I was listening to Radio 5 Live late into the night, having taken a wrong turning. And they were having people phoning in from the floods. The village in Yorkshire. And the guy, it's the guy, uh, the, the Irish fellow, uh, the, 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 the journalist would say, what did you take? Immediate answer from the person, photographs. I mean, that's not sentiment, it's what you do. Paul is dying. And he wants to be warm, and he wants the Bible, the scrolls, the parchments. Maybe because he is, he's not availed of any of them where he is. It's just real. He feels his loneliness and his isolation. The most uh, cutting, verse 16, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me. All deserted me. May I not be charged against them. And then these wonderful verses, 17 and 18, but the Lord stood with me. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May I not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. You know, a real living fellowship of God's people, we stand by each other, but in a real living fellowship, what we do is we keep putting each other's hands into the Lord's hand because His hand is the one that matters uh, most. Uh, we sang this weekend, as, as we often do, when I fear my faith will hail, He will hold me fast. Now, I, we, I'm a pastor, I love you, and I will sit with you, and I will... Uh, comfort you, but it's his hand holding you fast that helps you do what? Fight the good fight, run the race, keep the faith. Grace gets the last word, literally, 419 to 22. Greet Priscilla, Aquila, the household of Onesiphorus, Erastus, Trophimus, Pudens, Linus, Claudia, there's a whole list of options for names for you. Grace be with you. Grace be with you. You see on the sheet that the last word is a question, what about you? There is a refrain that runs all the way through the letter. What about you? Let me just give you some. Chapter 115, you, Timothy, are aware Chapter 2, verse 1, you then, my child. Chapter 3, verse 10, you, however. Chapter 3, verse 14, but as for you. Chapter 4, verse 1, I charge you. Chapter 4, verse 5, as for you. You are aware. You then, my child. You, however. But as for you, I charge you. As for you, who is God speaking to from his word? You. It has to be. You. 
you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this letter. And we pray simply, Lord, that you would help us to remember that this is not Paul's testimony as a man who we cannot aspire to, but it is a testimony of grace worked out in his life through the Lord Jesus who indwells him. And so we have everything we need for life and godliness to fight the good fight, to run the race, to keep the faith. Lord, we pray again, as Rog prayed earlier tonight, for those who just feel that they are a million miles from fighting the good fight and running the race and keeping the faith. Think of that marathon runner that took five hours, 47 minutes. Surely there would be periods in that race when they walked. And folks said to them, come on. We thank you that you are a gracious, loving Father. Thank you that you have penned these words from the great apostle who needed his friends, who needed his cloak, who needed the words of God. Thank you for the toughness of this letter. And Paul says, Timothy, please do not desert the gospel, the word of God, and speaking the gospel in your generation. Help us, Lord, to find our way to good living churches. Help leaders to be strong and clear. Help us to be fighters, but servants who are gracious and loving and kind. And keep us going. Keep us going for another week. Keep us going for another year, another 10 years, until and our expectation, our confidence, our sure and certain hope until that crown of righteousness is firmly fixed on our heads for all eternity. And help us, Lord, to see our life here. Help the Redeemer guys to see that life here, a life of worship, is a sacrifice for the sake of Jesus. And we pray in his name. And for his sake, amen.